you can get on the Bitcoin sovereignty ladder today, right now. Use Swan Bitcoin. Use CoinFloor in the UK. Use all these on ramps. Get on the get on the bus, baby, because it's going. It's going to the the heart of the spiritual matter. That's where we're going, Tone. Am I right? Welcome to the Swan Signal Podcast, a production of Swan Bitcoin, the best way to accumulate Bitcoin with automatic recurring buys at swanbitcoin.com. I'm your host, Brady Swenson, head of education at Swan. Swan Signal Live pairs great guests for compelling discussions about Bitcoin and economics. This week, a couple of long-time, and I mean very long-time Bitcoiners, Max Kaiser, host of the Kaiser Report and the Orange Pill Podcast, and Tone Vays, a Bitcoin educator and YouTuber. Glad you found your way here. Enjoy. We are live here, uh, episode 28 of Swan Signal Live. Welcome back, everyone. We are here with two fantastic guests. I'm really excited for this one. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, First, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Swan and uh, what we're doing here at Swan. We We have set up the best way to accumulate Bitcoin with automatic recurring buys, You can set your frequency weekly or monthly. Daily is coming very soon. Uh, We stack that Bitcoin for you. You can automatically withdraw it uh, or you can leave it in our very secure custody program. Uh, We also are very committed to Bitcoin education, which is one of the reasons why we are running this show. We're putting out content all the time and plans to keep doing that, uh, increasing the amount of educational content that we're throwing out there. Um, you can sign up for daily buys at swanbitcoin.com slash daily buys. Get in that group. It should be coming by the end of this month. All right. Let's get into this one with Max Kaiser, co-host of the Kaiser Report on the station RT and, of course, on YouTube. Uh, and the hot new Orange Pill podcast. His partner, Stacey Herbert, joins him on both of those shows. Max is an OG's OG. He's been involved with Bitcoin since 2009 when it cost a buck. Max, welcome to the show, man. Hey, you know, it's great to be here, especially with Tone Vase, my man, Tone. All right. And of course, we got Tone Vase. He's a Bitcoin educator, content creator, also on YouTube. Uh, He also hosts and runs the Unconfiscatable Conferences. Uh, Also been around for a long time. Welcome, Tone. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks, man. And Max, thank you for speaking at these conferences with the next one going to be in April. And as a trader... Uh, Bitcoin did not hit one dollar till 2011, so it could not have been 2009 for me. Right. That was 2011. 2011, we came in at a dollar. Okay, all right, gotcha. 2011, my bad. All right, well, let's let's dive into this one first. Before we before we do, actually, I remember I want to do this. Both of these guys have uh, a Swan Force URL. This is our referral program, Swan Force. You can go to swanbitcoin.com/slash/max to get $10 of free Bitcoin on Max's URL, swanbitcoin.com slash tone to get $10 of free Bitcoin using Tone's URL. Let's see which one of these guys is more popular. They're neck and neck on Twitter, both over a couple hundred thousand followers. So let's see who's the most popular. By the end of Friday, we'll uh, you know we'll, we'll play this up on Twitter for the next couple of days and we'll see who's, the, who's uh, got the most referrals by the end of the day Friday. That should be fun. All right. Uh, Oh, yeah. And one more thing at the top of the show, I wanted to make sure I congratulated you guys on the Orange Pill podcast, Max. Uh, it's been great. I've been uh, listening to every episode. That music is incredible. It gets stuck in my head really easily. I've been singing it while I mow the yard and stuff. Yeah, the music is uh, in part a collaboration with Sean Lennon, uh, Sean Ono Lennon. And he's been a fan of Kaiser Report for many years, probably 10 years. And he's a friend of ours. And he heard about 
the music from Julian Moore, who put out the first, put out the main uh, composition. And then mm -hmm. Sean came in and he added some vocals and some other stuff. And so it's, yeah, it's fantastic. And Stacy, of course, is the producer and, and director of it. And uh, we're happy with it so far. It's really catching on. Yep, it's fantastic. It's great stuff. All right, let's dive into the news that has Twitter a buzz from yesterday and today. Michael Saylor, he's the CEO of MicroStrategy, who we've heard about uh, plenty over the past six weeks or so uh, when he announced uh, that MicroStrategy had moved its uh, reserve asset in its treasury, corporate treasury, over to Bitcoin for the most part. They had bought twenty over 21,000 Bitcoin in that first buy. Well, he announced yesterday that they're doubling down uh, and now they have accumulated over 38,000 Bitcoin. Uh, he said on Pomp's podcast that dropped this morning that uh, this is not speculation. This is a deliberate decision to move to a Bitcoin standard um, for his company. Uh, it's important to note that that Saylor has a controlling share of MicroStrategy. Uh, he controls 72% of the voting shares, I believe, which is pretty rare for a public publicly traded company. So this, you know, there is a lot less friction for him to move, uh, make this move than it would be at, at other public companies. So we should, you know, make that note. But Max, so uh, what do you think of this? Is this another step toward a Bitcoin standard, standard as Saylor put it? Yeah, I think this is ranks right up there with Paul Tudor Jones, you know, getting into Bitcoin. He got into Bitcoin a few months ago. He made some very great comments like uh, he thinks Bitcoin is the fastest portion of the race when you compare it to gold. He's This is his kind of a reemergent inflation play. And now we've got uh, Michael uh, Saylor with his announcement of MicroStrategies. They've put what looks to be about a third of the market cap of this company now will be in Bitcoin. Here's the takeaway for me. Here, I think, is the most important thing to keep in mind is that for the last 10, 15, 20 years, stocks on the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ and around the world have been boosted by stock buybacks. Stock buybacks, that is the companies are borrowing money from the Fed or central banks at near 0% or 0%. They buy back their own stock and it boosts the value of the price of the stock, which boosts the executive stock options. Uh, no bigger uh, than in this than Apple. You know, If you look at a chart of Apple's shares outstanding, They've just been crashing over 10, 15 years because they buy back all their stock. Now, what, what Michael Saylor is saying at MicroStrategies is that actually he's taking a completely different approach and he could be marking the top in terms of stock buybacks as a strategy for corporations. This is an anti-stock buyback program. And as he said, he had a $500 million melting ice cube on his balance sheet, referring to how money printer go burr is diluting the value of fiat money. It's everything we've been saying now for years. He came to realize as a CEO of a company that that 500 million on the, on the balance sheet was a liability in an environment of money printer go burr, of, of just trillions and trillions being printed. So he is saying we need to protect ourselves from the Federal Reserve Bank, not go along with what they're doing. We need, it, we need to recognize the Fed as a rogue uh, a rogue element in the economy. We need to protect ourselves. And the best way to do that is with Bitcoin. So this is the anti-stock buyback. This is the first company that's going to take this strategy. But think of all these companies now sitting on hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars worth of cash who are going to come to this realization that that cash is a liability if money printer is, if they're going to just keep printing their way. They, they've said they want to get the 2% inflation. They say they want to get rid of this debt by printing more money. 
this is going to be the first of a wave of companies buying Bitcoin. So that's a huge, a huge uh, element on the buy side. Even Barry Silbert, who's like king of the Bitcoin, you know, he had a remark that, wow, you know, this looks serious. This is some serious business going on. So this is a huge, a huge story, and it's going to get bigger and bigger. Bone, what do you think, man? This is pretty exciting news to me. Are you getting excited about this? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I agree with Max Kaiser. I'll just add to it that, uh, well, the reason why a lot of companies were buying back their stock, uh, it wasn't just because to boost, uh, you know, compensation for their senior management. It was basically they had nothing better to do with the money. Uh, and they felt that that was the best move uh, because uh, if they can, if, even if it raises the price of the stock, it doesn't only benefit uh, their own, uh, you know, C-level management. It actually benefits everyone else that's also holding the stock. So you, you can participate as well. They're taking more stock out of circulation uh, and uh, holding on to it themselves. And uh, it's great. And he even said the first time when they were buying Bitcoin, they even said they thought about buying back the stock and they thought they felt that this was the better move. I think this is even more important than what uh, Paul Tudor Jones announcing that they're buying it because they're speculators, they're traders. These guys are not speculators, they're not traders. Uh, they're actually buying it for uh, a long-term strategic play. Uh, and in addition, this is one step closer to them potentially offering to pay their people's salaries in Bitcoin. They probably have a lot of consultants on opposite sides of the world and dealing with the banking system is a mess. I, I got, I basically cursed out uh, a Chase, uh, you know, some phone representative because they blocked my account for sending $2,000 to a friend through their uh, Zale system. And uh, when they finally confirmed that it was my account and this wasn't like uh, a, a fake transaction, they now started asking me a bunch of personal questions about uh, my friend. So uh, I know Max loves to pound uh, JP Morgan. Uh, so there you go. And uh, uh, this is what's happening. So uh, sooner or later, they're going to run into a lot of problems in paying consultants and paying people on the other side of the world. And they will be very happy. They have plenty of Bitcoin. They'll be happy to use for transactions uh, once the price, you know, takes one more ladder step up and we're breaking new all-time highs. They'll be more than happy to use that for their currency. So yeah, so this is uh, one step closer to actual Bitcoin adoption, not just short-term speculation. So I think this is huge. Yeah, if I could add something also, some of the comments that uh, Michael Saylor said, he was referring actually to the hard forks, and it goes back to the whole segue, uh, you know, block size wars. Of course, Tone uh, and a few others were incredibly influential in communicating everything around that. And what um, the CEO of MicroStrategy was saying is that the blockchain, uh, the the block size wars and the hard forks, it proved to him the anti-fragility of Bitcoin. It proved to him that, that Bitcoin could fend off this type of attack. And um, so this, it's, again, great news for Bitcoin. It's bad news for those hard forks because uh, as we go forward and more and more people buy Bitcoin and you find that hash rate keeps going up, security keeps going up, price keeps going up. That's less available for anything else out there. Terrible news for altcoins, in my view. Great news for Bitcoin. The competition is, is looking at this. And uh, 
uh, and it's not easy buying that much Bitcoin. It must have taken them months to do it. So they are way ahead of their competition. Yeah, well, one, uh, one other point, I guess, to keep, stick on this. You know, there is a question now whether this is like a backdoor into an, an ETF, right? Because the, the SEC hasn't approved an ETF. We've got a company now, a publicly listed company, with a third of the market cap is represented by Bitcoin. And so it is a quasi-ETF into Bitcoin. I made a joke on Twitter earlier that, you know, buy Bitcoin, get a software company for free, right? Um, and it's an interesting play. I mean, what if they just keep redeploying their, you know, software is a huge margin business. What if they keep putting, you know, the their excess cash into Bitcoin? It's like you're buying Bitcoin with a, with a dividend or a yield. But um, I think that the response that I saw was that it could be tiptoeing around some of the uh, regulations and about this being a quasi ETF at the moment. No, but I think that's something that's a guardrail in the market that they probably have to be aware of. Love it. Yeah. So let's talk, uh, let's take a quick detour and talk a little bit about that fork that you mentioned. Um, I know tone has done some looking into this. He was talking about it on a show yesterday and I'm sure Max has something to weigh in on here, but uh, Bitcoin cash, which I don't usually pay attention to, but has uh, popped up on the radar recently because they're looking probable a probable hard fork coming in a couple of months that will result in a couple of coins. Of course, Bcash hard forks up in a planned way, like twice a year, I think. But this will be uh, one that potentially will result in, result in another coin. Uh, they're going to add an infrastructure funding plan that is an 8% tax on all block rewards that go to devs. Uh, and there's contention about this, which could result, like I said, in, a, in another coin coming in, in a couple of months. Tone, what does this all mean, man, uh, for, you know, as it relates to Bitcoin and, you know, just for shitcoins and forks in general? I mean, as it relates to Bitcoin, it just proves how important it is to uh, be on the same page. And while a lot of Bitcoin core developers argue with each other over which path to go, uh, what keeps it together is the realization that, you know, quitting and going out and starting your own uh, version of Bitcoin or your own money is not going to succeed. And uh, I... If anything, I'm surprised uh, Bitcoin Cash lasted as long as it did. I completely underestimated how long, uh, you know, that side of the fork will last. I didn't, I didn't think it would last uh, a year, uh, let alone three years. And now this is another, you know, nail uh, in its coffin as it slowly becomes more and more irrelevant. Uh, and this is what happens because when you set a precedent that if the going gets tough, just split and go your own way, you're constantly forking your community. And this is what all altcoins are doing. And uh, I know people like myself are demonized with the term uh, Bitcoin maximalist. And I have a hat that says shitcoin minimalist uh, because that's what happens. I mean, if you fragment something into a thousand pieces, it doesn't get stronger. I always felt that Bitcoin's best shot to be the globally adopted money was going into 2014 uh, because that's when everyone was a Bitcoiner and everyone was trying to convince others to use Bitcoin by Bitcoin. Uh, but now we've been set back for four or five years now because everyone is just promoting uh, whichever coin they happen to invest in or whichever coin they're inventing because there are just so many people inventing their own coins. Uh, and Bcash is no different than any of the others. And hopefully, uh, when it goes away, it'll get back to normal. But this setback with Bitcoin.com 
promoting a fake Bitcoin, selling you a fake Bitcoin. This is what turns people off. It's not the attitude of uh, people that try to explain why a single standard is good, like myself and Jimmy Song uh, and many others. Uh, it's this idea that, hey, buy into this nonsense and when it goes to zero, you say, oh, we're just experimenting. We didn't know which one was gonna win. That's what turns off people and then they don't wanna come back. What do you have? Just anything to say, Max, to add to that? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think absolutely. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit of a clown car uh, with all these clowns pouring out. You know, you they, they never seem to stop, right? Uh, there's just more and more clowns coming out of the clown car. And this is just more the subdivision of a clownish fork to begin with. It, it's crazy that uh, the, the, the message seems to be to, we want to be, the, the only way we can be more decentralized is to be more centralized. Right. That's the underlying message of all these sub forks. It's like uh, we've got to burn the village to save the village. It's just irony. It's just absurd. It's an absurdist exercise. And it, of course, I just look at the global hash rate. It's something like 85 percent of it, of all coins combined is I haven't checked the numbers lately, but I believe 85 percent last I checked was Bitcoin. That number is rising. That number is just going to continue to rise. You could, you know, create a 10, 20, 30,000 of these things. Doesn't matter. The, um, the Bitcoin hash rate is going to continue to dominate. And uh, Tone's point about 2014 is a good point. You know, I'm I'm part of that original, almost at the very beginning, Bitcoin 2011. And, you know, I saw that emergence of those altcoins, you know, Litecoin and other coins that came around. 2014 was a year where we saw a lot of these coins. I myself was involved in some of these coins. But within a year or two, I realized that was a dead end. I just, I went through that process as everyone eventually does who is a mature person and can understand the big picture here. They reject everything but Bitcoin on the fact that nothing is going to get us to where we need to go other than Bitcoin. And the market is showing us that. I just look at the market. I come from Wall Street. The market's telling me the dominance in hash rate dominance in transactions, dominance in market cap, and growing dominance. I just go, and I go with that. I don't need to overthink it. That's what the market's saying. That's where we are. That's where we're headed. Roger made a huge, you know, Roger Ver, I think, made a huge mistake in getting off the path. And no matter how many times he sub-forks it, it's, it's just gonna, never gonna work. Same thing with Craig and Satoshi Special Vision, never gonna work. I'll throw one more quick thing in as far as uh, Bitcoin's dominance goes. I agree with Max that Bitcoin keeps excelling, but uh, because it's so easy to just copy code and release something that gets added to these, you know, market cap lists on CoinGecko and the others, uh, that it's difficult to judge what Bitcoin's real dominance is. Uh, the way I started talking about it lately is, uh, look, Bitcoin dominance versus everything else in crypto may continue to drop. It can drop to below 50% again. But what's important is Bitcoin dominance versus every individual coin. Uh, back in the day, Bcash was like 10% uh, of Bitcoin uh, by dominance. Uh, Litecoin was like 5-7% of Bitcoin by dominance. Now they're less than 3%. Uh, Ethereum recently rose. 
against Bitcoin's dominance, but that's because everyone is just doing their DeFi and yield farming, and that's going to pass. So over time, even though Bitcoin's overall dominance versus the field may not uh, be that impressive, but people should notice that Bitcoin will continue to separate from every individual competitor where eventually every single altcoin besides Bitcoin will be less than 3% of Bitcoin's dominance and then lower than 2% and then lower than 1%. So it doesn't matter if you have uh, a million coins, each one less than 1% of Bitcoin's dominance. Together, they may be 90% of crypto, but Bitcoin will be 99% of each of them individually. Right. And just to add to that, um, there's... You know, I'm making a distinction between market cap dominance and hash rate dominance. So in the hash rate area, the Bitcoin dominance at 150, you know, uh, quintillion transactions per second or exahash per second, that I think is last I checked was 85% of the market and growing. I mean, that's the number, that's the key number for me. Uh, and, 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 and that's growing and that attracts players like, Michael Saylor at MicroStrategies, who puts nearly half a billion dollars into it. So that's that means all the metrics are self-reinforcing. The security goes up, the hash goes up, the price goes up. You know, we're in the sweet spot now. This trip from the current price to, you know, 20, 30, 40,000, once it gets rolling, it's going to be pretty rapid because you got a lot of people now on the sidelines who are going to commit with half a billion or a billion at a clip. Right. We're no longer in 2014. People are not putting in, you know, twenty thousand dollars. I'm I'm a whale. No, we're talking about billionaires putting billions into this thing. That's that's how we get to the rapid price appreciation and everything else just just becomes uh, noise. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, another note on the market cap is that it's important to take into account liquidity. Right. And like most of these shit coins are completely illiquid. And so why would you want to hold them if you can't cash them out for anything else, right? Uh, so if you take liquidity into account, then, you know, Bitcoin's dominance is even higher, well over 90%. So if you look at the, the hash rate dominance and, you know, the, the liquidity adjusted dominance, Bitcoin is just the only game in town. Um, that's why at Swan, we only, you know, we're Bitcoin only. There's a lot of other Bitcoin only companies that are emerging. Um, and we just want to help people, you know, buy Bitcoin in the safest way possible and ignore the rest of the casino stuff that's going on out there. Um, all right, I wanted to get back just briefly to the Michael Saylor stuff. I wanted to lead into talking about um, sovereign nations uh, adopting Bitcoin as at least for part of their uh, treasury as a reserve asset. We have, you know, obviously plebs like me, you know, then we have like massive investors like PTJ, Raul Powell's very bullish. Uh, and then we have now MicroStrategy really leading the way in Apply, you know, plowing a ton of money into Bitcoin as a reserve asset. When is the the first nation state going to adopt Bitcoin as a reserve asset? And and maybe some speculation on which country that might be. Well, we already have some nibbles, right? You've got um, Venezuela and Iran. Apparently, each have some significant or some 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 piece of the hash rate. Uh, you've got Belarus, I believe, is involved there. So those those countries that are been um, the victims of dollaring of dollar censorship, because you know the U.S. dollar has been weaponized, and the SWIFT system, which is the international transfer payment system, is used as a weapon, and it's been used by the U.S. against Iran. It's been used against other countries, Russia, 
And so these countries are very eager to get out of all those systems. And so a lot of them are migrating toward Bitcoin. As far as Bitcoin and the nation state, I, I, I keep coming back to Nigeria. My, what I'm, my understanding is that 30% of the country is now basically leapfrogged into hyper-Bitcoinization. They're using it as a unit of account. They're doing all this international trade. They're buying cars from Japan. They're using Bitcoin as the medium of exchange. And they're completely fluent in Bitcoin. You know, this is the whole learning curve in the U.S. that people are hand-wringing about and saying, oh, will we ever teach anybody how to use Bitcoin? We have to be good educators. Well, you know, the U.S. is the last country who's going to get it because we're the empire. We've got the dollar. We've got the world's reserve currency. We've got the most to lose if Bitcoin becomes hyper-Bitcoinization. A country like Nigeria, however, is like, you know what? We're just going to leapfrog all that intermediary stuff. We're going to go right to hyper-Bitcoinization. And so now that'll proliferate out. So I think Nigeria in 2020, 2021, it's going to emerge as the hotspot Bitcoin country in the world. Love it, love it. Tone, what do you think about this, man? Have you thought much about uh, world reserve, or sorry, uh, nation states taking over a reserve asset as Bitcoin? I think it's going to take a little while. It's just, uh, I don't know if I really have a comment, but it's, it's really interesting that uh, what Max said as well, and we all know this, uh, that uh, uh, Belarus, Venezuela, uh, even Iran, they're always uh, talking about Bitcoin. I don't know how much their government uh, personnel are actually using Bitcoin. We've heard statements by the president of Belarus, but uh, you know, Belarus is a little bit of a civil unrest now because they want to, uh, they don't want that president in power. And we all know about the Venezuelan situation with their government. So it's very unfortunate that uh, if these government entities are the first ones, uh, to start uh, adapting Bitcoin, what does that mean for their population? Because the population clearly doesn't want these leaders. And it, it's this double-edged sword, right? And uh, I, I mean, I'm hoping that the population of these countries uh, adopts Bitcoin and that helps them put leaders in charge that they actually want, uh, assuming that there's no interference in their elections or their political structures. Uh, and it's actually, uh, you know, as close to or some remnants of a free market there. Um, Iran is, uh, I, I think Iran gets a really unfair shake. Uh, I mean, I understand why uh, Venezuela is uh, a problem. Uh, I really wish I, US and Iran had much better relations. Uh, so, uh, but those are the government entities. It's interesting what Max said about uh, uh, Nigeria. And every time I look at Google Trends for Bitcoin, Nigeria is always near the top if not at the top. And yet, I don't know much that's going on in Nigeria with Bitcoin. I was supposed to be traveling through Africa, but then COVID hit and uh, those travels kind of got cut short, though Nigeria wasn't on my list uh, of countries to visit. It was going to be Kenya and some of the others. Uh, but I, I really feel like going there just to see what's actually going on on the ground. Uh, as far as central banks buying into Bitcoin, I don't see it yet because uh, maybe some Caribbean islands will do it, but uh, I think the smaller nations will do it and they're going to do it very, very quietly. Like I can see Hong Kong uh, doing it. I can see Singapore doing it. Uh, I can see some of like Liechtenstein, like some of these other smaller nations, maybe something or maybe a place like Panama, uh, just um, uh, these, uh, uh, you know, nation states that are really small that are somewhat under threat 
uh, of uh, being taken over by much bigger nations that surround them. Maybe even Costa Rica, they don't have an army, uh, but hey, if they have enough Bitcoin, uh, they can hire one if they need one. Uh, so <laughs> I can see these countries that have been generally smarter to navigate the political landscape and Singapore kind of stands on its own. I think Singapore is not a, like no one is a threat to take over Singapore, mostly because they have the mo- some of the best financial freedoms in the world, even though some of their other freedoms are definitely, you know, uh, a little bit lacking, but they kept a really nice thing going and they're pretty smart and they're going to want to keep it going. Uh, I think it'll be difficult for Switzerland, for example, to do it because they already gave up their financial sovereignty when they rolled over to the U.S. and gave up the numbered bank accounts. So uh, having those leaders do the right thing and give their people, uh, you know, more uh, financial freedom and uh, a more stable reserve currency and more privacy for their citizens, I'm I'm not expecting much from them. Uh, But I, I think it is coming probably by end of decade. Uh, it'll probably be a little sooner than later than people think. I'd love to get Max on to get some comments on what I just rambled on. That sounds great. Yeah, Max, give us some comments. Then we have a question from a viewer we'll move to for Tone after that. Sure. Um, no, Tone gave a really good uh, overview of what, countries around the world and their involvement or not uh, nibbling at Bitcoin. Uh, my understanding is that Barbados is uh, very far along and uh coming up with a, a bitcoin policy for their central bank also um the interesting story with venezuela of course you know they went with the petro uh which was their national crypto and you know we've seen this in a few few different countries go through this and uh now they they kind of got to the point in the education curve where they abandoned that more or less i don't know if they've said that but it seems to be that they've abandoned it and they said that we're going to move more into into bitcoin uh, which makes perfect sense. It's the same learning curve everyone goes through. Uh, and, and so there they are. Uh, it is a, the, the government there are, are very shaky and they have they come to Bitcoin in these, these countries out of a desperation. But so many times, whether it's Iran, Venezuela or other countries, you know, they are the primary victims or even Africa of coloni- colonialization or the U.S. dollar based empire. Right. Iran certainly uh, suffered a major coup from the U.S. back in the 50s. Uh, Venezuela has been a client, more or less, of the U.S. for decades in the oil patch. And so now, uh, for the first time, not only do individuals have the ability to be sovereign and separate the state from money, but so do sovereigns have the ability to be, you know, individually sovereign away from the empire. That is the U.S. dollar. And so... um, yeah, I think the, t- the clock is ticking and the, the game of which country makes the first move and says, like MicroStrategies did and says, you know, the central bank, we have 20% of our reserves in Bitcoin as a strategic reserve. You know, that country will immediately jump to the head of the class. You see what happened to MicroStrategy stock? It jumped uh, significantly. Uh, and I think you're going to see more co- companies just add Bitcoin t- to as a stock a way to protect themselves from the Fed. And that will move their stock higher. It'll be a self-feeding virtuous cycle. So when does that hit the country, the sovereign stage? Uh, I think that we've got enough people nibbling around the edges here that uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a country like a Barbados make an announcement within the next uh, 24 months. 
Oh yeah, Max. I just want to just this will be really quick. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned how uh, MicroStrategy stock like rose after they announced they bought Bitcoin the first time. I haven't looked at it since they announced they bought more Bitcoin, but I remember analyzing it about a week or two weeks after that announcement because the irony that happened is like the next day Warren Buffett announced that he finally entered the gold market by buying Barrett Gold, and I took a look at what happened to their respective stocks while they. I jumped about the same on the day of the announcement. They both went up like 5%. Uh, MicroStrategies went up an additional 15% over the following week and a half, while Barrett Gold just like sold <laughs> up. So there's the difference between Warren Buffett uh, buying into your company versus your company just buying Bitcoin. Yeah, well, you know, like uh, has been said, Bitcoin should be the fastest horse in the race. So if you're going to... Uh and Buffett looks like he's getting out of the dollar because he bought uh, 5% in top five Japanese conglomerates. Just uh, he announced this a couple of weeks ago. So that's a way to get out of the dollar. You know, the dollar is at a, a very interesting inflection point in its history. It looks like, it, you know, U.S. dollar is about to lose world reserve currency status. So uh, that means that if you've got if you're overexposed to the dollar, you know, you've got to hedge that exposure. And so Buffett's moving into Japan. He's moving into gold. MicroStrategies is picking the fastest horse in the race and saying, we're just going to go Bitcoin because not only do we hedge ourselves against a, a fiat money, money printer go crazy at the Fed, but we actually got something that's going to compete with gold and could go up 30, 40 X from here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and Tone, we have a question in from YouTube. I want to work in here from uh, Alan Johnston. New Zealand has been forced into sovereign debt. What do you see there? And what Kim? What is Kim.com thinking? Do you know anything about this story? <laughs> well, I, I'm not, I don't know what Kim.com's thinking. Um, I did spend a little bit of time with him, uh, so maybe I could text him. Uh, but uh, New Zealand has been forced into sovereign debt. Um, look, does this mean that they didn't have any sovereign debt before? Um, so if they have sovereign debt, I'm sure it's tiny compared to the rest of the world. Um, look, I think New Zealand will be okay. Uh, the, the best thing about New Zealand is uh, they're a somewhat self-sustained country. Uh, I mean, sure, they import like everybody else, but uh, they grow their own food, which is really, really important. And it's pretty damn clean food. Uh, and that's probably the most important thing they have. Uh, it's, uh, I think New Zealand will be okay. Uh, I, I think it'll be fine. Uh, like I've been saying for a long time, national debt, uh, I, I don't think it matters. Max and I have maybe debated this. I don't think the U.S. national debt matters. Uh, most countries' national debt doesn't matter. Uh, here's where national debt matters. Uh, when you're a small country that ends up in debt to the U.S., uh, the U.S. then uh, causes really, like, does bad things to your country, like that book, The Economic Hitman, Basically, they bring in their industry and things like that. Basically, the U.S. has uh, the military uh, to cause you harm if you owe them money. But if you are U.S., uh, if you are New Zealand, if you are these you know, major countries that have global respect, no one is coming onto your land to collect on that debt. Uh, that debt will never be repaid. And everyone understands it'll never be repaid. Uh, what you need to be worried about is the unfunded liabilities. Uh, so the U.S. national debt is, uh, I always forget the number, was it like $25 trillion or something like that? Uh, but 
that's not the number to be concerned with. It's the uh, 250 trillion or whatever that number is of unfunded liabilities. That's the money that the U.S. owns to its own people inside the border of the U.S. that still has a lot of guns. So what happens when that check bounces? When the firemen, the policemen, even though no one wants them to get a check anyway at the moment, uh, like anyone that's working for the government, half the population is working for the government. When those people see what's happening to the dollar, that's when you have a problem. No one is going to come to the U.S. border and collect on their international debt. That's not happening. So I don't think that number matters much. Right. Well, to, to follow up on that. So the debt, uh, as Paul Krugman at The New York Times says, is owed to ourselves. And we have the world reserve currency and we can run massive deficits. But what we're seeing is that there is a limit to the deficits because the interest on these deficits is still uh, a, a, an item on the on the income statement. You still have interest on the debt. And it is forcing the U.S. to get more aggressive in what we would call debt monetization. They issue the debt and then they print money to buy back their own debt. You know, quantitative easing, when it was introduced 20, 25 years ago, was supposed to be temporary measure. And otherwise, if it wasn't a temporary measure, it would be outright debt monetization. The exact same thing that the economic hitman would do down in South America and Latin America. He, these countries would monetize their own debt and they'd get into trouble and then he'd come down there and straighten it out and the U.S. would end up with some assets. The U.S. is now the victim of its own kind of globalist intentions and it has to buy its own debt and there is a limit to how much of this debt you can buy yourself. The Federal Reserve balance sheet is now approaching, um, in, in, just to give you a global perspective, in Japan, they're well over 100%. So the, the Bank of Japan, they bought back more than 100% of the Japan's GDP in assets as on Japan's balance sheet, and it, it's still uh, deteriorating. The U.S. is at roughly, at last I checked, 40%, 45%. So they've got room to go to 100%. But there is, there are limitations uh, to when this becomes inflationary. When you start printing all that money, you know, uh, it's they claim that there's a, this enormous bucket that they can fill with with buying with a liquid by printing money to buy assets. But there there comes a point when that bucket is full, and then every every dollar you print to to monetize debt just goes right into consumer price inflation. And we're starting to see that in the edges now. The consumer prices are starting to go up. People are noticing food prices and these fights, they're going up. That's the result of printing all, debt monetization, the, the, this faulty policy for, for too many years. So on one hand, Tone is, is correct in that it's not uh, because the U.S. Um, has the military to defend the dollar and because it's money we owed ourselves. But on the other hand, there is a point when this does become it spills over into the real economy and starts to hurt people in with real price inflation. And I think that's the root cause of all of the social unrest in the U.S., whether it's Black Lives Matter or any of these uh, groups at the core of all of them is one basic problem. The value of their money in America is turning to shit and it's making people broke and it's enriching the printers. Right. It's. I mean, there's no bigger shit coin than the U.S. dollar, right? I mean, I mean, Justin's son is a peanut compared to Jay Powell. Jay Powell is the ultimate shit coiner, and it's it's destroying the economy. It's all those cantillionaires, Max. 
It's the cantillionaires, exactly. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who's new here, uh, I know that we've got some you know new Swam members that like to come on and watch the show and learn about Bitcoin. The Cancelon effect is the idea that Bitcoin or that uh, money is printed by the Federal Reserve. And if you're closer to the Federal Reserve, the more you benefit by getting lower interest rates on that money. Uh, and the same effect holds true on the international level as well, because the US dollar is the world reserve currency. Uh, US companies and the US government benefit from it before uh, anyone else. They get the low access to the lowest interest rates. And this leads to a whole bunch of inequality, both domestically in terms of wage inequality, wealth inequality, but also inequality in terms of like national wealth levels. Uh, so this effect is is uh, what Max, Max is alluding to here and is just a terrible cause of uh, inequality in the world. It's uh, Jay Powell is the world's largest shitcoiner. Um, and we must not be, have any mercy like about calling him out. Um, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's move on to the next the next topic at hand. Um, today, there was a leaked uh, set of rules uh, that the EU will be instituting later this month or next month. Uh, the takeaway from the rules was that Europe intends to treat crypto the same as any other regulated financial instrument, kind of going the same way the United States has been going with the announcements from the Office of the Comptroller of Currency recently uh, that banks can illegally custody Bitcoin in the United States. Just today as well, Kraken announced that they are the first uh, financial institution to uh, be a, a full bank charter and a crypto uh, asset company. They'll be chartered out of Wyoming. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, so we're seeing this new wave of uh, regulatory attention to Bitcoin. Uh, Tone, let's start with you. What's your take on what this means for Bitcoin and the emerging Bitcoin industry? So uh, I haven't dug deep into the, the, the new regulation statement. I, have to, I haven't done my uh, Bitcoin law show in a while. Uh, but look, uh, Bitcoin itself doesn't care about regulation. And, uh, uh, it's good, thank God, uh, that it doesn't. Uh, as long as you have an internet connection, and uh, I know our internet connection isn't as free as it should be, but there are ways you can run it. You do onion routing, you can use store. Uh, so there are ways to make Bitcoin transactions no matter what. There's ways to mine Bitcoin and there's ways to run a node and uh, people will continue to contribute to Bitcoin's code. So as far as Bitcoin is concerned, regulation is irrelevant. It's like electricity. Like does electricity care what the regulation on electricity is? Uh, we have it. It's a new innovation and people will use electricity because it's just better than candles. Uh, so having said that, any time uh, the regulations uh, around Bitcoin and making Bitcoin businesses are more streamlined and easier to comply with and doesn't cost millions of dollars, uh, the barrier to entry is lowered. And that is, of course, a good thing. You want your barrier to entry to be as low as possible when it comes to uh, working with a Bitcoin business. And this is where I always end up in these weird debates where people call me a statist. I Look, I don't like regulation as much as the next guy, but here's where I differ. In that uh, if you are soliciting money from other people, if you are creating securities, if you are printing your own money, and that's the one that's most debatable because people think that if the government can print money, why can't I? If you are actually like, creating value out of thin air, then the regulation is not strong enough. 
Now, we can also debate whether the regulation is good or not. Uh, like, look, no one likes the SEC. I think the SEC does a terrible job. Uh, however, uh, the SEC is supposed to do a job. They just don't do it very well. Uh, that's more of the problem. And I don't know how to fix it. People smarter than me hopefully will fix the problem. So I think this is good. Uh, I think lower regulation when it comes to entering uh, the space is, is great. But I think the regulation on people that are taking other people's money is not strict enough at the same time. And that's how everyone's getting scammed. Max, is this wave of regulations uh, good for Bitcoin? Yeah, it's an interesting topic. And um, because to put this into context, Bitcoin is really the first ever example at scale of separating money from the state. So, the, so therefore, in, in an environment like Bitcoin, where you, the, the state is completely divorced from the money, it, it just opens up this whole question about what exactly do we need government for at all? What exactly are these regulators doing at all? I, I think, you know, if Bitcoin succeeds, and I know it will, you know, we'll get to that point where bureaucrats and civil servants will be pitching us their services and we will pay them accordingly. So you'll have uh, civil servants will say at the uh, SEC will say, you know, hey, we, we got an idea where we can uh, come up with this framework that will develop some consumer protections. And we'll say, OK, we'll give you a few bucks for that civil servant bureaucrat, you know, he'll pay you like we would pay, you know, somebody who does this type of uh, paperwork. And uh, the ability for these government agencies to cream off the top, the contillionaire effect, the, the industrial complex, the, the, the largesse, the, 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 the corruption, right? The, the Pentagon, <laughs> the multi-trillion dollar Pentagon budget, the multi-trillion dollar government budget that does jack shit. You know, that's all got to go away. That's got to go away because we don't need any of that anymore. We're, let's all let it collapse and um, we'll just rebuild it. There is, there is room for, there is a place for limited government to some degree there's good you know place for some regulations okay but they've got it we've got to rebuild it from scratch with this new paradigm that separates state from money because now that means that we can we can build the the infrastructure out the governance structure for the infrastructure of our day-to-day -day lives you know in a way more prudently which is not just based on corruption lobbying uh, voter fraud, election fraud. I mean, it's just become a total mess. I think that's beyond repair. You just got to let it collapse. And I think we're going to see a collapse. You know, and we're going to see a collapse. The, the economy is on the verge of a lot of headwinds. There's a lot of problems here. Uh, and so I think we got to welcome that and just say, you know, it'll be a chance to rebuild society and to rebuild our regulatory framework from the point of view of the people who now are in possession of stateless, flagless, hard money. Wonderful. Uh, I, I agree completely. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. Um, makes makes good sense. Um, as somebody just said in the comments, uh, Bitcoin equals true love. It's, uh, it's We fall in love with it because of beautiful, uh, you know, uh, ex explanations of what's going on here like that. Um, so in contrast to the countries that have decided to regulate crypto and are going down that route, 
Uh, we have countries like India, which recently announced that they plan to introduce a lot of ban it again, uh, as they did in 2018. Uh, both times they cite fraud as the reason for banning crypto. And uh, alongside, which is they also announced, which is probably the actual reason they are planning to introduce their own digital currency. Um, last week on this show, we had Eric Townsend on, who is the host of the Macro Voices podcast. And he has for a long time uh, been saying that central bank digital currencies, or now Silicon Valley digital currencies, as he calls them, uh, will be the uh, the end of Bitcoin uh, and, and will win uh, over Bitcoin. Uh, he wrote a book about this and published it in 2018. Um, so he is well-versed, but this is his stance still to this day. Um, Tom, let's start with you on this one. What do you think about central bank digital currencies? Uh, are they the last gasp of a failing system or are they uh, you know, a real threat to Bitcoin? I can I just get a mic check real quick? Uh, yeah. I think I was using the wrong mic because hopefully it's much better now. Uh, sorry about that, guys. Uh, so, no, this is actually completely laughable. And uh, we've been talking about this as far back as the World Crypto Network back in 2014, uh, where... Uh, there, I don't understand what what's in the revolutionary about central bank digital currencies. Central banks already have digital currencies. They're called the dollar, the euro, uh, and Japanese yen, and all the rest. Because ninety nine percent of the U.S. dollar is digital, not in physical form. Uh, nothing will change. Well, the U.S. dollar is the only one that has a problem if they eliminate paper money because the U.S. dollar, the paper U.S. dollars are used all around the world. Uh, no other currency around the world matters in its paper form. None of them, not the pound, not the euro, none of them. They can go digital tomorrow and they probably should, but nothing will change. Uh, they don't even need to waste time developing a new currency unless they want to somehow revalue their current currency. It's just a waste of government resources and our tax dollars. All they have to do is stop printing paper money and say, hey, over the next 10 years, uh, make sure you spend that paper money because uh, after that, it'll be good you know, to, um, I don't know, make a wallet out of it. And that's about it. Uh, so that's all they have to do. That's what a, a central bank digital cryptocurrency or digital currency is. It's not going to have censorship resistance. It's not going to have the unconfiscatability property. And it's not going to be uh, finite in supply like gold or Bitcoin. So there, there's nothing there. It already exists. It's just a silly statement thinking that it will make some kind of a difference. Uh, the other thing I'm recently hearing is the central bank uh, would uh, actually hold people's deposits instead of commercial banks. I, again, I don't understand how that is innovation. Uh, one of the things that, uh, as much as Max Kaiser hates the private banking sector, uh, one of the things that separated the United States from its communist counterparts uh, throughout the 20th century was capitalism. And a big part of capitalism is private banks. So if the central bank is now going to be holding people's deposits, uh, there's no need for a uh, commercial bank. There, there's no need for capitalism in the banking sector. And now we're back to the Soviet model where the Bank of Moscow is holding everybody's deposits. Like, I don't understand where the innovation is by holding your money with a central bank instead of private banking. Uh, as much as we hate private banks, it's a better solution. Right. right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I agree with everything Tone is saying there. 
Uh, to add some color to, you know, the discussion about private banks, uh, the, a, a bank uh, functionality is, as a utility is fine, and it is a backbone of capitalism and private property. The problem in the U.S., however, is we've got private banks have become um, unregulated kleptocrats, and they are committing massive fraud, admittedly, that they admit to. And their business model is to keep 90 cents of every dollar they steal. That's their admitted business model. And, you know, that's that's the big problem. But I want to throw something else onto the table. And it's kind of a bigger picture thing that I've just been thinking about recently. And that is that when it comes to Bitcoin and you relate it to these other possible sovereign coins, country coins, et cetera, that what they don't understand is, and what I believe to be true is that Bitcoin to a large degree is predatory and it's the apex predatory out, predator out there. And what it's feeding on is energy. And right now, Bitcoin has got roughly, you know, in, in a very rough estimate, let's say it's got 1% of world energy is, is dedicated to uh, Bitcoin. You know, in my view, Bitcoin is a predator seeking to do essentially a 51% attack on the global energy supply. And, and, and it, you know, none of these projects are going to work without energy. None of these projects are going to survive in the era of the Godzilla of money, Bitcoin, gobbling up all the energy. And I think, we you know, if you look at that hash rate, you look at that network, you look at the energy usage, you look at the way that it favors renewables over fossil fuels. That's another huge trend that's completely transformative to the global economy. That's those forces are like the forces of gravity, the forces of uh, atomic energy. They're, they are incredibly powerful forces. And these sovereigns are stumbling in the dark and they think they're going to come up with a centralized competing coin that looks awful lot like, as Tone says, the exact model they have now. And they're going to get eviscerated. They're going to get decapitated or decapitalized, to be more precise. And it's not going to be pretty, but they're not. No one's going to stop them from making those stupid mistakes. So I say, step aside, watch them beat themselves up, and hodl. Um, let's talk. A, dive a little bit more into the energy topic, Max. And I know that this is something that you're interested in and talk about quite a bit. Um, I know that Sun Exchange is a sponsor of the Orange Pill Podcast, for instance, and they're doing very interesting work with Bitcoin and solar uh, solar power. Uh, you know, the, the question that will come in from people new to Bitcoin when they find out about proof of work and how much energy Bitcoin uses is simply that, you know, that's that's absolutely wasteful. Uh, what's your response to people who bring that up to you, that, that kind of old FUD about energy? Well, there, there's the huge waste in energy, you know, a flaring of gas uh, projects, uh, busted pipelines. You know, fossil fuels is hugely wasteful. It's hugely capital intensive. And um, Bitcoin is... Um, moving the industry towards renewables. You know, the cheapest energy in the world right now is solar and wind. And this is what Bitcoin's tapping into. So it's forcing all these fossil fuels. To look at Exxon and BP. Their stocks are crashing because their model is crashing. The fossil fuel industry is crashing. Renewables are really on the upsurge. And the Sun Exchange, yeah, they sponsor the Orange Pill podcast. They've got a brilliant model. They install solar cells and you get, they convert sunlight into Bitcoin and you get goes right into your wallet. And while you're helping to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, to, to supply energy to projects like schools and factories and stuff like that. It's a brilliant project and uh, it, it's a great company. But um, uh, that, that idea that Bitcoin is boiling the oceans or that it's a waste of energy is, is diametrically wrong. It's 180 degrees wrong. It's, it's wrong. 
Bitcoin is actually green. It's a green energy. It's a green uh, industry. If you understand really the dynamics of the global energy grid and how this is moving uh, away from fossil toward renewable, renewable is the cheapest. Something like 90% of the profitability or higher of miners comes from energy costs. So they are extremely sensitive. As uh, Marshall Long in Texas says, he's in the energy arbitrage business. He's not in the Bitcoin mining business. He's in the energy arbitrage business. He, he's got to get energy under three cents a kilowatt, two cents, under a penny a kilowatt. How does he do that? By, make, by bringing efficiencies and putting out the, 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 the companies that are inefficiently destroying the environment because they're fat, stupid, old, pol politically corrupt. They're all going to be disintermediated. So we want, we want agile Bitcoin mining energy users to, to make the industry efficient, move over to renewables, and actually, in the case of Sun, the Sun Exchange, <laughs> you know, you're getting, you're monetizing sunlight. I mean, I mean, and they're paying like 10, 11 percent a year on their projects. These DeFi projects that offer five or six percent, and you're taking 100 percent risk. <laughs> you know, go to the Sun Exchange. You're getting nine, 10, 11, 12 percent in some cases, and you're not taking, you know, that risk. You know, you're taking minimal risk. So, uh, you know, it, 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 why not just turn the sunlight into Bitcoin? I mean, and Bitcoin is love. Bitcoin is freedom. <laughs> love it. Tony, you have anything to say on the energy front? Or we can uh, Sure. Look, Bitcoin does uh, use a lot of energy, and that's only going to get bigger. Uh, is it a great thing? Uh, well, it depends how you look at it. Am I, uh, for example, I know Max talked about uh, the renewable energy versus either the current uh, way we use it with fossil fuels. Uh, but there is one in between. You have nuclear energy as well, which is ranked under green energy. Uh, do I want to see countries popping up nuclear power plants all over the world uh, to compete in uh, mining Bitcoin? I honestly don't. Uh, I don't want to see another Fukushima. I don't want to see another you know, Chernobyl. Uh, so, uh, no, it's not great. But we do have a free market. And when people complain about Bitcoin uses too much energy, the best example I, I, I have as a counter argument, how much global energy is used to play video games. And no one is complaining about that. And then you compare uh, how much good uh, to society playing a video game brings versus how much good to society uh, Bitcoin can bring. So if the governments really don't like the fact that people are using energy to mine Bitcoin, great. Give us money that you're not going to steal from us. Uh, allow us to make all kinds of transactions we like without these laws like FBAR and FATCA and scrutinizing every transaction. Like in my case, sending $2,000 to a friend uh, and don't print so much money. Like run a stable currency uh, because I don't expect any of these things to happen. Uh, this is the life that uh, the world has chosen in that Bitcoin will continue to eat up more and more energy. Uh, now, uh, hopefully this will, uh, the Bitcoin uh, ecosystem will evolve energy. I'm hoping that because uh, now some entrepreneur, if they solve, uh, if they find a cheaper way to get energy and use energy, they can directly profit from their invention by simply mining Bitcoin. Uh, and that's a huge incentive uh, mm. to go and find 
the best ways to uh, for renewable energy uh, uses. So no, it's not great, but it's the best system we have because proof of stake just doesn't work. It's not going to give us politically neutral decentralized money. And as long as the world benefits from politically neutral decentralized money, uh, it is what it is. And we're going to have to keep burning a ridiculous amount of energy until those that have controlled other people with money for millennium learn a lesson and uh, then maybe the energy uh, won't have to be used as much. Another great yeah, question. Yeah, great, great oh, points. You know, Go for it. Uh, then I got a question for you. Yeah, great points on that. And, uh, you know, people say what backs the dollar. And according to Paul Krugman, again, in the New York Times, he says the Pentagon or men with guns, you know, the Pentagon, uh, I read that just to keep the Pentagon fueled with gas for their tanks, jets, et cetera, is $250 million a day is what they spend at the gas station. You know, it's like an incredible. <laughs> so uh, that's to fuel the Pentagon to defend the dollar because, you know, the U.S. foreign policy is uh, you we, we want you to start using the dollar. And if you don't, we're going to bomb and murder, you know, your people. That's our foreign policy. That's the way it's been for decades. So um, and that's all very inefficient. So and the idea of uh, entrepreneurs coming up with ever more evolved Tech, uh, energy um, technologies is you know so exciting and the, and and why that's the way it should be we should be we should be searching for these things and that's really really exciting we got a question from i think it's youtube from duarte about uh poverty and bitcoin max i'll throw this one to you how can bitcoin end poverty by destroying the idea of poverty right poverty is an idea uh if you even have one satoshi you know or let's say dollars worth of Bitcoin, you, you're not poverty. You're, you don't have poverty anymore because you now are um, going down the path of self-sovereignty. And it's, um, you know, poverty is a state of mind. And um, Bitcoin raises your consciousness to, and you can, so accessible. Even the poorest people, you know, look at, look at in India, for example, there's 20,000 tons of gold are held by women in India, and um, that's their wealth. And um, they are considered by in the world to be, you know, by the World Index to be living on, let's say, certain number of dollars per day that would qualify them as quote unquote poverty stricken. But they are, in fact, you know, uh, they have gold, they have individual sovereignty to some degree, and it's a functioning society. And uh, this is so that the barrier to entry to escape poverty with Bitcoin is even less than it is for gold. Uh, you know, you, you can you can get immediately get out of poverty by simply be, be, be by saving and changing your mindset from spending and from everything that comes with that to saving. And um, again, look at Nigeria. Nigeria is considered right now to be a poor country yet they are going to they could very well in the next few years become one of the richest countries because they're going to hyper bitcoinization so how did that happen how did all these quote unquote poor people become now the richest people in the world look at the people in Qatar Qatar has the highest gdp per per capita the highest income per capita because of oil now oil's in in retreat uh, they could be they could become the poorest people in the world so uh, it, it's just a matter of the money. You know, do you, do you have hard money or do you have anybody? I mean, Bill, Bill Warren Buffett is, is poverty stricken. 
in my view, because his entire mindset is based on fiat money. Less so now because he bought into gold. But here's a guy who is one of the richest men in the world, never leaves his house. He took one trip to China once with uh, Bill Gates, and, and he brought along a discount coupon from McDonald's to get a ch cheap deal on a McDonald's hamburger in China. That's where his mind is at. He's a poverty-stricken guy. He thinks like a poor person. He's just engulfed with paper. He, he's never produced anything. He's never done anything. He just gets money from the Fed, and he buys strategic assets, and he sits there in the same house for 40 years, and he says the same platitudes over and over again. That, Warren Buffett, to me, is a, poor, is a very poor man because he has, his, his, he has no life force within him. He's spiritually dead. Uh, many people who say are, are poor, but they might have uh, a little bit of Bitcoin, and they're vibrant. They're spiritually connected. They're in tune with the global consciousness. They're rich. Those people are rich. So let's, let's get out of this definition of who's rich and who's poor. If you have Bitcoin, you are rich as fuck. If you are all fiat money, you're a poor bastard. That's number one. Number two, the on-ramp to Bitcoin is accessible to anybody with a fucking phone. You can get on the Bitcoin sovereignty ladder today, right now. Use Swan Bitcoin. Use CoinFloor in the UK. Use all these on-ramps. Get, on get on the bus, baby, because it's going. It's going to the, the heart of the spiritual matter. That's where we're going, Tone. Am I right? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And Bitcoin <laughs> makes it easier than ever to hire someone from Nigeria. Uh, like five years ago, I would have never thought that I would be, uh, you know, getting consultants, uh, someone from Australia, someone from South Africa, all over the world. And Bitcoin makes it so easy. Uh, and that's where it's going. So now there's no excuse. Uh, it doesn't uh, like even India that's constantly trying to ban Bitcoin or any other country. There's no excuse. If you have access to the Internet, you can learn anything for free. You have YouTube. You have other resources. You can be a coder. Probably the best remote job you can have. You can be a graphic designer. You can do a lot of useful stuff. A web developer. All of those skills are at your fingertips. And you can now work from anywhere. And COVID is actually raising that trend because after COVID, there'll be more people working from home. So you don't need to live anywhere specifically. And now you have a global currency that will appreciate in value over time as long as you can get your hands on it. So there's no excuses. One of the stories that I say is when I was still working on Wall Street, I remember commuting to and from work uh, in uh, like early 2010s. I mean, Bitcoin already existed, but I haven't heard about it or I wasn't really paying much attention to it. But I remember uh, what did I spend doing on my commute to work? You're taking an hour to get to work, taking buses, taking ferries. Uh, and uh, I would do one of two things. Either I would be sleeping on my commute, which means I'm resting my body, or I would be like reading blogs or reading something interesting. And all around me, all I see is people playing what was that Candy Crush or another popular game that was coming out back then. That's the problem. That's what's keeping you in poverty. That's what's keeping you at the horrible job that you hate is that you're spending your commute uh, playing Candy Crush and not improving yourself to do something better. Uh, if uh, unless you love your job, but uh, but then again, uh, most people don't. So this is what Bitcoin allows you to do. It gives anyone the freedom 
to work from anywhere. And it's amazing. Uh, let's talk a bit about price, guys. Uh, Tone, I'm going to kick it off with you, man. Uh, you are a trader. I know Max spent some time on Wall Street as well. So let's hear your predictions for price action over the next couple of years. I'm bullish. Uh, I went bullish earlier this year. I've been, uh, you know, I had a rough uh, 2019. Uh, most of the Bitcoin went up uh, from the early 2019 from around 3,000 all the way to 14,000. I was skeptical all the way up. Uh, it then spent uh, most of the, the spend the rest of 2019 uh, falling back about 50 percent. And uh, just the market looked strange to me. I kept waiting for, you know, another low felt like the bear market didn't last long enough. Uh, people didn't feel the kind of pain they felt in the last bear market. But all that changed uh, in March. Now, granted, COVID had a lot to do with it as all markets crashed. But that day. Uh, the day when Bitcoin crashed to 3,800, uh, that day, the next day, I became a long-term bear. So my two years, uh, two years and two months of being a bear uh, turned into being a bull. So now I am expecting Bitcoin to challenge new highs, break new highs. I, I believe the next uh, high, uh, the next peak will be about 45,000. I know everyone is waiting for plan B's stock to flow model hitting 100,000 next year. Uh, I think that's a little uh, optimistic. Uh, I'm gonna be a little bit uh, more uh, you know, realistic on this one. I think 45K is a realistic target for Bitcoin, uh, but I still think it'll take a little bit longer uh, than people think. Uh, it may even take until the next halving uh, I, the first week of this year, I wrote an article saying that I expected Bitcoin to spend the majority of the year below 10,000 and closing the year approximately at 10,000. We did spend the first six to seven months of the year below 10,000. Uh, so I guess the uh, for me, the majority meant a little more than 50%, closer to, you know, 70. Uh, but it looks like we were about 55% below 10K. Um, I think we can still have a pullback to about 9K, uh, but I think if you get a chance to buy Bitcoin below 10,000, uh, you will only have one more chance to do it, and you, this is the last year to do it. Uh, so uh, if we fall back down, and I'm not saying that we have to, uh, I still think there is a greater than 50% chance ever slightly that we fall below 10K one more time, and that would be the last time. Uh, sometime uh, next year, I'm expecting the break of 20K, uh, and uh, it looks bright. I think we're good into the next halving, uh, and then I'm sure there'll be another bear market because there always is one. Yeah, um, so I look at Bitcoin and Bitcoin price, and in a lot of ways, I look at it like I look at gold. And the thing about gold is that it's not so much a reflection on what's happening in the gold market. It's more a reflection of what's happening in the U.S. dollar and the fiat currency market. Because an ounce of gold is, uh, no matter what the dollar is doing, is still an ounce of gold. You know, the, the dollar's been weak recently, and gold's made a new all-time highs in the dollar and in all fiat currencies around the world. Does that mean gold's going up or fiat money is going down? Well, it means that fiat money is going down. An ounce of gold is still an ounce of gold. In Bitcoin, it's that 10-minute emission schedule. No matter what the 
the the price is the coins come every 10 minutes no matter what that's the, the equivalent of gold being priced in ounces bitcoin's priced in the emission schedule in in the monetary policy in the the protocol itself everything that comes with it and the the price of bitcoin is also contingent to a, to a large degree to the dollar the the correlation between gold and bitcoin I'm sorry. Yeah, between gold and Bitcoin has never been higher than it is recently. These two things are now trading parapasu, to use a Wall Street term, you know, together. And it's reacting to the dollar. When the dollar is weak, gold and Bitcoin move higher. So we, to, to, to understand and have a price prediction or a forecast for Bitcoin and gold, you, you really, you're asking, what's your, what's your forecast for the U.S. dollar? And the U.S. dollar, I think, is, you know, the DXY is the, is the dollar index. And it's hovering around su uh, some uh, support. And it'll break that support. And you're going to see some new lows in that, in that DXY. And then you're going to see highs in Bitcoin and, and gold. So uh, and now that's important because if you're investing in Bitcoin, you know, you're going to have a portfolio. Uh, you're going to have cash, stocks, bonds, property. And so the question is, how much do you allocate to Bitcoin? And so if you want to be like Warren Buffett and get out of the dollar, he went into Japan market and he went into gold mining stocks. Okay. As Bitcoiners, we'd be like, I want to get out of the dollar. I want more Bitcoin. That's my way of getting out of the dollar. And so what percentage of your portfolio should be in Bitcoin. That's the question. And everyone has a different answer to that. If you've been in it for a long time, Bitcoin is a big part of the portfolio simply because it went up by a million percent. So, you know, there's not much we can do about that. You know, I, it's not prudent uh, to have as much Bitcoin, perhaps, as some of us have in relation to the overall portfolio. But that's just a function of the fact that it went up by as much as it did. Uh, so, uh, the, you know, uh, if I were being a Wall Street professional, I would advise myself to be more prudent and have not as much of a percentage in Bitcoin. But I've learned to resist that temptation because ultimately I believe there's no top to the price of Bitcoin because when it comes to the U.S. dollar, there is no bottom. Dollar, like all paper money, can go to zero. They all go to zero or lose 90 to 98 percent of their value. None of them last. For 300 years, they all go to zero. And Bitcoin and gold, of course. You know, during the Weimar Republic in Germany in the 20s, gold went to a trillion Reichsmark to uh, a trillion to one from a parity of one to one. It went from one to one to a trillion to one during uh, hyperinflation of the 1920s in Germany. I, I think it was a trillion to one, but it was very, very high. So I, 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 this could happen right now with the U.S. dollar. It's a shit currency. It's going to zero. So, you know, where is Bitcoin going? It's going a lot higher. How much did you buy? As much as you fucking can. <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear that. Um, all right. Well, Max seems to be in, you know, in, in his uh, typical cosmic mood right now. So I want to finish things up with uh, a question that he can hit out of the park and, and get real cosmic for us. Uh, so, you know, we're 50 years into this pure fiat regime and, um, we are witnessing the inevitable conclusion of that uh, quote unquote experiment, uh, which is we've had you know several many times throughout human history. And so we know what's going to happen. This is the inevitable end. And it's, you know, probably started in 2008 and we're still seeing it play out right now. Um, 
we have this non-sovereign alternative now that we call Bitcoin uh, that's been growing exponentially against that fiat money. Um, so Max, wh- can you paint us a picture, uh, like a like a nice, rena- a beautiful Renaissance painting uh, of the future that you see uh, for Bitcoin, our Bitcoin future? Well, in the Renaissance, you know, let's talk about the Sistine Chapel, the masterpiece by Michelangelo. There's Satoshi is on the ceiling and he's handing a Bitcoin to humans. If you remember the scene as depicted by Michelangelo. And this was the moment that Satoshi entered our human consciousness. And it took about 500 years for that to finally make it to the white paper and to make it into our wallets. But the message is clear that Satoshi is God. Hello? Is this on? Hello? <laughs> I am I'm speechless. I am. <laughs> well, I'm okay. I can build on this theme if you'd like. So um, there is a spiritual component to Bitcoin. I think it is a predator. I think that it's voracious. It's insatiable in, in its quest for more hashing power and energy. And we, it's totally out of our, out of our control. You know, it's something that was assembled through bits and pieces you know, like a Frankenstein monster. You know, Frankenstein is put together by spare human parts from the graveyard, and then the monster came out and it destroyed everything. Uh, you know, Bitcoin is like it was assembled from bits and pieces, and then you put it together, add electricity, like in Frankenstein when the, the lightning bolt came down, and it's like it's alive. It's alive, like that scene in the movie where this Dr. Frankenstein saying, It's alive! You know, this is Bitcoin. It's alive, and it's stalking us. You know, it's saying either understand what I am and start to live by my principles or you're going to get rolled over by me. And so the choice is yours. Either live by Bitcoin or get destroyed by Bitcoin. It's your choice. You have the choice. Choose wisely. (laughs) I love it. Tone, what's a Bitcoin future look like to you? I mean, I'm sure you've thought about it over the years. Oh, man. Uh, Look, it, it, it looks bright. Uh, it looks awesome to me. Uh, I think it's great. I think the fact that what Max just described about Satoshi, no one's ever going to know who it was. Uh, I think that's the best storybook ending you can have. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll look back on these times. Uh, it's, uh, it's great. I, I can't wait to see it 10 years from now. Uh, I think it's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the future. I think one more having and Bitcoin will truly separate from everything that came before it or since it. Yeah, I love it. It's only 11 years old. It's ins- it's just absolutely crazy to think that it's only 11 years old and uh, just approaching the, that asymptote of adoption and, and price. Uh, and I think you're right, Tone. It is a privilege to be here and be able to uh, talk together like this and, and make shows like this and run companies and build companies. And I think we will look back, you know, 10, 20 years from now and just be really proud and, uh, you know, just a, yeah, happy to or proud to share uh, our work with our, you know, children and grandchildren and friends. So I think we'll drop it right there, guys. I really appreciate your time. This was a ton of fun. Uh, did not disappoint. I knew it would be a great time. Uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. You can grab the podcast version uh, if you joined late uh, and like the audio at swansignalpodcast.com. Of course, the YouTube channel, subscribe and uh, hit those notifications. We do this every Wednesday. Uh, and we go live every once in a while, just, uh, just me and Brecky and Reed and some of the guys from the Swan team and talk Bitcoin and Swan answer your questions. So turn on those notifications. You'll be able to watch and, and join in. Uh, awesome job in the chat, everyone today. It was super lively. Love the questions coming in, the comments coming in. Uh, love that we have this new broadcast set up now that we can 
uh, put your questions and, and comments up on the screen. That was a ton of fun. All right, that's it for today. Take care out there. SwanBitcoin.com to stack. Thanks to Max and Tone for joining us. You can find Max on Twitter at Max Kaiser. That's M-A-X-K-E-I-S-E-R. And Tone at Tone Vase, T-O-N-E-V-A-Y-S. I am at Citizen Bitcoin. And you'll find Swan at Swan Bitcoin. On behalf of the Swan team, thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Swan Signal podcast. It's really fun to join us live on the YouTube broadcasts at youtube.com slash swansignal. Head over there, subscribe, turn on your notifications. We have a lot of fun in the live chat and we often work in some questions from listeners. Daily buys are coming to Swan, all right? We already offer weekly and monthly buys, automatic recurring buys for Bitcoin. We're starting daily buys very soon. You can get into the beta group at swanbitcoin.com slash daily buys. Swan Signal is a production of Swan Bitcoin at swanbitcoin.com, the best way to accumulate Bitcoin. Follow us on Twitter at SwanBitcoin and subscribe to the podcast at swansignalpodcast.com.